Hallelujah. Isn't the Lord good to us today? Why don't we clap our hands one more time and magnify the Lord? Amen. 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 Good to see everyone here this evening in the house of the Lord. If you turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 2 verse 37, I want to remind you that next week we will be starting our foundations class in the PI room. I've already asked certain ones, eventually everyone, um, I would like for everyone to go through it. Um, it doesn't hurt us to be reminded of doctrine. It doesn't hurt us to be reminded of why we do what we do. And um, so it's not only for those that are new to our church, but also for those of us that have been here a long time. Uh, so if I come to you today or this week, uh, just know that um, I, it's something that eventually I'd like everybody to do. It's an eight-week course. It's going to be going on simultaneously while I'm teaching in here. Brother Bowie is going to be teaching in the PI room, and we'll have binders with, with the lessons and everything. And it will just help us grow in Christ. That's what we're trying to do is to grow in Christ. So if you would like to go through it this time around, and I have not asked you yet, we have a few more spots available. I'm trying to limit to maximum 15 people, and I believe we're at 10. So if you would like to go through it this time, please come see me. Um, eventually, I'll come to you, and we'll, we'll have everybody go through it. So please be in prayer for that. I believe it will be a great, great uh, thing for our church. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? I'm going to finish um, the lessons that I've been teaching. We started with the oneness of God, and we, start, we continued last week uh, with salvation. And I'm going to give you part two of salvation. You may be seated um, this evening. There is only one God. As I've stated before, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. His name is Jesus. Jesus, as the man, was the physical manifestation of the Spirit of God on the earth. Jesus was God, and he was fully man. Jesus simply means Jehovah is Savior. Giving you a little recap. We believe that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are not three in one, but these three are one. There's no division in the Godhead. There is no division in the nature of God because just as much as God is the Father, we can say that God is love because Scripture says that. That's an attribute uh, of God. We could say that God is wisdom. It's another attribute of God, but it's not a separate entity of the Godhead. It's an expression of who he is. It's a role that he feels. So we know that there is one God, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the Father. He is the Son and he is the Holy Ghost. We also know that because of man's fallen nature, that all men require salvation. All 
old men were born in sin, just like David said, and shapen in iniquity. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Scripture also says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Every person that's ever lived, regardless of what continent they're on, what language they speak, every person was born into sin. It was the default mode of your nature. You were born a sinner. So all men must be saved. Salvation begins with believing. The first thing I ever preached in this pulpit on November the 4th, the lesson I taught was the process of salvation. Because salvation is not an event. It's a process. There's some that think uh, once I pray a certain prayer that my name is forever etched in the Lamb's Book of Life and I can live however I want to live and my salvation is secure. I don't believe in eternal security. I believe that you, if, you, if, you, if you sin and you walk out and live in a lifestyle of sin, then you're living in a manner that's not pleasing unto the Lord. You're living in a lifestyle that is not in, in coordination and cooperation with the plan of God for your life, and that can put your salvation in jeopardy. We're supposed to flee from fornication. We're, we're not supposed to give place to the devil. We're not supposed to give opportunity for the lust of the flesh. So we don't believe in eternal security or once saved, always saved. It makes for a very appealing doctrine, but it's not biblically sound. And like I've said before, if we're going to be judged by the word, we have to make sure we live by the word. We're not going to be judged by what church we attend. We're not going to be judged by what denomination we're a part of. None of that. We're not going to be judged by how much we give, although giving is a biblical principle, but it's not the sole basis of salvation. We're going to be judged by the word of God. And scripture also says that judgment begins where? At the house of God. If we judge ourselves by his word now, then we won't be condemned by his word later on. If we judge ourselves by the word now then, then, and make ourselves ready for his appearing, then, then when we make it in the rapture, we've already judged ourselves by the word. But if we don't judge ourselves by the word now, then later on at the great white throne judgment, when we don't make the rapture, God forbid, then we're going to be judged by the word. Either way, we're going to be judged by the word. Salvation begins with believing, believing. But it does not end with believing. Disciples of John in Acts 19, they were believers, but they didn't have the Holy Ghost. They had lived according to the baptism of John, which was the baptism of repentance. Repentance is simply the death. It's the beginning of the salvation process. It's not the end. As was stated last week, the gospel, as Paul said, was the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we go to John chapter 3, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in verse 3. He said, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, 
he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? This was the natural trying to understand the supernatural. And the reason that people struggle getting the Holy Ghost and struggle and living for God is because they try to understand the supernatural through the realm of the natural. You can't do it. You can't do it. You cannot live for God through logic. If you try to live for God through logic, then God can be no bigger than your mind. And you shackle him with the chains of human reasoning. You quarantine him within the confines of human comprehension. And his scripture says that my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You can't understand how God can cleanse someone's heart with his precious blood, but he does. So Jesus goes on in verse 5 and says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You have in that verse two absolutes, except and cannot. Those words simply mean this is non-debatable. Except a man be born of water and the Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You say, oh, you don't know so-and-so and this one and this one and this one. I knew they were such good people. Being good is not a prerequisite of make it to heaven. Nowhere in this book will you say will you find if you're good enough, you can make it to heaven. Except a man be born of the water and of the spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, you say, Well, are you judging my my relative? Are you judging my friend? No, I'm saying the word of God. I have no doubt that there's a lot of good people. Look at Cornelius. Cornelius was a good man. He paid alms. He had good character. He bombarded heaven with prayers. In fact, his prayers is what opened the door for us to have salvation as Gentiles. But he wasn't saved just because he was good. There's going to be good people not make it to heaven. Good people. Because Jesus said, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the spirit. That word sound is translated into the word phone, where we get the English word phonics or language. And Jesus said, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and now here's the sound. When the wind blows in the spirit, he was prophesying. He said, when the wind blows in the spirit world, you're going to hear the sound or the language that's going to be spoken. But you're not going to be able to tell from whence it comes 
So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. What happened on the day of Pentecost? They heard a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. What sound did did everybody else hear? They heard, how hear we every man in our own language? They heard the language of people being born of the Spirit of God. We talked about repentance last week, and that's part of the process. Repentance is not a feeling. It's a change of behavior. It's a change of the will. It's a change of the direction that your life is headed. But repentance is not indicated solely by tears. It's not indicated by how much you say, I'm sorry. Repentance is evident by how much you change to line yourself up in this word, by this word, by this word. The next step as recorded in Acts 2.38 is being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So we ask ourselves, what is baptism? Now, me and my brother as a kid, we love preaching. We had this preacher in our home church who now pastors in Florida. He had the raspiest voice. It was one of those cool preacher voices. And me and my brother, we would just start screaming. We just start screaming until we got our voice raspy. And once we got our voice raspy, then we could have church. And we would just we would have church and we would preach. We would we would baptize each other in the bathtub or in a in a, in a swimming pool. You know how kids are. We 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 would baptize each other. But what makes baptism significant and effective is not the water. It's faith in the name that's being called over you when you go down in the water. Faith in the name. What is baptism? We put on Christ when we're baptized. Galatians 3.27 says, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. It's like when you just change clothes, you put on a whole new identity and the old person is left under that water and the new person is risen with Christ. We're also buried with Christ when we are baptized. Death is repentance. Burial is baptism. This is why it's absolutely crucial to be immersed in water. When you bury someone in the physical, you don't just lay their body on the ground and throw a few handfuls of dirt on them because that's not what buried is. When you bury someone, you totally immerse them and you put them down under. That's immersion. Now, Jesus served as our example, Jesus would never ask anybody to do what he wouldn't do himself. And in Matthew 3.16, the Bible says, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. He came up out of the water. The only way he could come up out of the water is means that he first went down in the water. He wasn't sprinkled. He was immersed. If we're going to be buried with Christ, we have to make sure that we are 
buried in that water. It's not the water. It's the act of obedience to the word of God and faith in the name that's being called over us. Every Christian, you read this book, every Christian was baptized this way. The Bible says in Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That baptism is talking about water baptism and spirit baptism. On the day of Pentecost, Acts 2.38, Peter said, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Acts 8.16, the Samaritan believers, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts 10.48, Cornelius' household, the name of the Lord, which was just stated, they know as the Lord Jesus. Disciples of John in Acts 19 and 5, the name of the Lord Jesus. Remember, everything we have to go by is in this book. And if they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, then we have to be baptized the same way. Matthew 28, 18, 19, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. John 5, 43, Jesus said, I am come in my Father's name. Matthew 1, 21, thou shalt call his name Jesus. John 14, 26, the Holy Ghost whom the Father will send in my name. As you already know, Father is not a name, Son is not a name, and Holy Ghost is not a name. So when someone is baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, in heaven's eyes, they just got wet. Because the right name was not applied to them in baptism. It's imperative that you know when you're being put under that the name of Jesus is being called over you. Because only that name can wash away your sins. If I put you under and say, I baptize you in Father, pull you up, that did nothing for you. I baptize you in the name of the Son, that didn't do anything for you. Or in the name of the Holy Ghost. But when I speak the name of Jesus over you in baptism, then in God's eyes all those sins are washed away. And the blood of Jesus is applied. Understand that Matthew did not write his gospel until A.D. 62. And he was making a theological statement about the oneness of God that had been confirmed by 30 years of the church baptizing every convert in the name of Jesus. Over 30 years had passed since the resurrection of the Lord. And we only read of five or six instances where they were baptized in the name of Jesus. But everyone that had been baptized was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Baptism is absolutely essential for our salvation. John 20 and 23, whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. The church does not have power to forgive sins. Only Jesus does. Only Jesus. So what does this verse mean? Whoever we baptize has their sins remitted or washed away, 
Whoever we don't baptize still has their sins. Now, let me clarify something. After baptism, you then operate under the realm of grace. So if you mess up next week, you don't have to be baptized again because you have grace. You have mercy. Now, there are some. Remember I said baptism is only effective by faith in the name of Jesus and understanding why they did what they did. If we were to baptize a three-year-old, that three-year-old does not understand what they're doing. Yes, we put them underwater, and yes, we said the name of Jesus over them, but they do not have an understanding and faith. This is why I'm doing it. So if that three-year-old now is 30 years old, and they come to me and say, you know what? I really feel like I need to be rebaptized. I was baptized when I was three, but I just got wet. I didn't know why I was doing what I was doing. Well, then we have a situation that is totally understandable because baptism is only effective if you understand this is why I'm doing it and faith in the name of Jesus. But if you have somebody that's 20 or 25 and they come at the age of 35 and say, you know what, I've, lived, I've done a whole lot of sinning since I got baptized when I was 20. This is me. I have find no scripture where you have to be rebaptized all the time just because you messed up. But you have grace. The Bible says, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, that if we ask God forgiveness of our sin after baptism, that he covers it with that blood. We don't have to live in condemnation that, oh, I messed up a whole lot. I need to be rebaptized. We don't have to do that. We have grace. We have mercy. We have an advocate with the Father. Because then what happens is, if you get rebaptized a second time, who's to say you can't be rebaptized a third time? And a fourth time? And a fifth time? And people will live under self condemnation just because they messed up. And they think that the only way I can be saved is I have to get rebaptized again. And I got to be rebaptized again. That's not necessary. If that were the case, every Sunday we'd have a line back here. Just being honest. If that was the case, we'd be baptizing people every Sunday and every Wednesday. No. But you can go to God in your private time in prayer, and God can forgive you of that sin and wash that sin with his blood, and you could keep on living for him. Romans 6 and 4, Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. When we come up out of that water in baptism, that's the, that's the burial. But that last stage of salvation, the, the beginning of that process, is the infilling of God's spirit in our heart. The Holy Ghost. You talk to somebody outside of church, that Holy Ghost scares them. What the Holy Ghost? We ain't talking about no ghost. A ghost is simply an invisible spirit. It's the Holy Spirit of God. You can't see it, but it's there. Jesus came to, to restore the damage that was done in the Garden of Eden. 
He came to restore the, the union between God and man that we could walk in that newness of life. Furthermore, he said in Acts 1 and 8, ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. He wanted to give us the, the power to walk in that authority, in that newness of life. You know what happened? When man sinned, man lost his dominion or power. So when the Holy Ghost comes, you get your dominion back. You have authority over the enemy. You have authority over spirits. 1 Corinthians 6.14, And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. The new birth experience is designed to let your old life die, that's repentance, and be buried, baptism, and to give you a literal new life by the power of the Holy Ghost. Now the point of the resurrection is not just that Jesus got up from the grave, but that I can get up out of the deadness of my old life. Remember, in the, in the word of God, everything is a parallel. There's types and shadows. So by Jesus getting up from death, he was trying to show us that the Holy Ghost can help us get up from repentance and baptism and to walk in newness of life. Jesus being put to death was an act of men. Jesus' burial was an act of men. But Jesus' resurrection was an act of God. Repentance is my action in response to the gospel. It's an act of man. Baptism is my action in response to the gospel. You've got to choose to be baptized. But the Holy Ghost is God's action in response to my obedience. Just like Jesus, death was an act of man. Burial was an act of man. But resurrection was an act of God. Repentance is an act of man. Baptism is an act of man. But the infilling of the Holy Ghost is an act of God. No man can fill you with the Holy Ghost. Can't happen. Jesus rose from the grave in a glorified body. He didn't need the stone rolled away to get out of the tomb. He could have done it. But the stone was rolled away as a sign to us that he had actually literally risen from the dead. The Holy Ghost is God's spirit. It encompasses much more than just speaking in tongues. But speaking in tongues is given as a supernatural sign to us that we, has, we have actually literally received the Spirit of God. It's a physical sign of an inward resurrection. When Jesus rose from the grave, that, that, that stone could have laid there for all of eternity, and everyone would have believed that he was in the grave. No one would have believed that he was risen. So he had to give a sign that there was a resurrection. So the stone was rolled away, and he ascended. And as long as we live in repentance and baptism, there's no 
supernatural sign that there's been something happen on the inside. But the sign that God chose to show people that there was a resurrection was you was going to speak in another language. Now, goosebumps is not a sign of the Holy Ghost. You can get goosebumps driving down the road listening to the radio. I've heard some good songs and got goosebumps. It's not a sign. The only sign, according to Scripture, that God said will be the sign of my spirit in somebody's life was they shall speak with new tongues. Now, there are, there's a heavenly language that nobody knows except God praying in the spirit. There's the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues is one of the gifts of the spirit. That is not the same as the sign of tongues. There's some places over on the other side of the world when they get the Holy Ghost, They'll speak in perfect English. I love you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. Missionaries tell those stories all the time. To that person, that's tongues because nobody taught them English. God used their mouth, and they spoke in a different language. That's the Holy Ghost. When you get the Holy Ghost, you're going to know you got the Holy Ghost you're going to speak in a language, but remember this. This is what I tell people. Everything mirrors spiritual babies and physical babies. Sister Paige, when, when that precious baby starts talking, she's not going to open her mouth one day and start saying sentences. Doesn't happen like that. She's going to start speaking syllables. Those syllables over time will turn into words. And those words over time will turn into into more fluent sentences. What happens is when someone gets the Holy Ghost, they think because they don't all of a sudden start talking in tongues like other people that have been living for God for years that they didn't get the same Holy Ghost. But when newborn babies come to God, they have to surrender that will and that I watch them. They watch that, that, that mouth. And when that mouth starts saying things that they don't understand, it's not going to be fluent words. Even if it's just different syllables flowing out of their mouth, if it's not English and God is allowing them and giving them the ability to do it, that is tongues. Don't judge someone just because they're not Shonda Mohai and all over the place. That's the Holy Ghost. Only God can give the Holy Ghost. But here's what will happen. The more they pray, and yield to that, the more fluent it will begin to flow out of them, and then it will develop. Remember, we don't seek tongues. We seek the Lord. We seek the Lord. That was my biggest hang-up in trying to receive the Holy Ghost. I tried everything everybody else did to get the Holy Ghost. I mean, I tried it. It didn't work for me. I wept. I cried. I jumped. I shouted. I did everything I could to get the Holy Ghost. Couldn't get the Holy Ghost. And what I would feel the Spirit of God coming into my, like wanting to take over me. And I could feel my tongue wanting to do things that I knew was not English. 
You know what I would do? I, I watch people do this. Do, still do this. I'd start doing this. All right, get my control back, and now I can go again. And I'd start worshiping. I love you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. And I'd start feeling it, and I'd, well, I'd get control of it again. That's the sign right there that God's trying to take over. That's that point of exchange where you've got to decide either I'm going to stay in control or I'm going to let God have control. And I've watched person after person after person. It's like looking in a mirror watching me. I can watch their mouth and I can tell, all right, we're at that point. Either we're going to let God take over or you're going to do it yourself. And just because someone doesn't receive the Holy Ghost like you received it doesn't mean they don't have the same Holy Ghost. Well, when I got the Holy Ghost, I was, I was standing on one foot, twirling around and blah, blah, blah. Well, good. That's good. But that doesn't mean, nowhere in this book does it say everybody has to do that to get the same Holy Ghost. Years ago, Billy Cole, Billy Cole upset a whole lot of people. Because he would line up chairs across the front. And he, if you want the Holy Ghost, come sit down in this chair. And boy, they'd line up. And he'd just speak the name of Jesus, receive you the Holy Ghost. And people, everybody would just start receiving the Holy Ghost. He had to get the faith. But he said, we wear people out. Have them stand and we rock them. We pat them down. We lift their hands up. We shake them. We do all this, thinking that all of that is necessary to get the Holy Ghost. And here they are just sitting down with their hands raised and they, God starts filling them with the Holy Ghost. He upset a whole lot of people because they thought you got to do all of this to have the Holy Ghost. You don't have to do all that. You'll be driving down the road and receive the Holy Ghost. We've got some, some things that we hold on to and think, well, it has to be done just like this. It doesn't have to be done like that. Same spirit. I, if, I were, if I were to ask or take a poll, there would be few of us here that have the same exact way we got the Holy Ghost. But we got the same Holy Ghost. Bible says, Acts 10, 44, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. How did they know they got the Holy Ghost? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. The whole reason Peter asked, Can any man forbid water is because they thought only the Jews could receive the Holy Ghost. And this was God's way of showing them that I have now opened up salvation to whosoever will. They've got the same Holy Ghost that the Jews had. And when they baptize in the name of Jesus, they call on the same name. And thus we are here today because of that open invitation. Romans 8 and 9, but ye are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ... He is none of his. 1 Corinthians 12 and 3, Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God 
calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. A little test that I always do when I felt like someone, as an evangelist, when I felt like someone was possessed of the devil, I would go up to him and I'd say, Jesus is, I want you to say, Jesus is Lord. If they wouldn't say it, or they couldn't say it, then I knew that there was not a flesh problem, it was a spirit problem. Because the devil will not admit Jesus is Lord. We can admit it, because we've got the Holy Ghost. We know that Jesus is Lord. And people that are in the world can admit it. But someone that's truly possessed of the devil, that spirit within them will not allow them to say Jesus is Lord. Now, at least in my travels, I've never experience someone possessed of the devil say Jesus is Lord. I'm not saying somebody else has because there are such things as, as uh, other spirits that get in people's minds and they can do things. But that's just my little test. And I've, People that I've seen that were possessed of the devil never would say Jesus is Lord. I remember preaching one particular church. Guy came up there at the front and uh, remember this. People that are truly possessed of the devil, some people don't want deliverance. They want to be a distraction. And if we, if you ever see me tell some of you, go pray with that brother in the prayer room or go pray with that sister in the prayer room, it's because that person's possessed of the spirit, of an evil spirit. And we're not going to give way to that spirit and try to disrupt a service. We can deal with that prayer room in, in that prayer room and cast the devil out and be done with it. There are some people that are only sent not for deliverance, but they come to take over a service. I remember my pastor told me the story, and I will get to that story in just a minute. I got about ten minutes left. My pastor told me he used to pastor down in Brownsville, Texas, and down there, a lot of lot of wickedness in that area. I used to preach down there a lot, but he told me one particular. Uh, man would always come up during the service and he would come up and, and, and walk prayer and people would begin to pray and he would start acting out evil spirit in them. And it would, it would shut down the whole service. They would never get beyond, beyond that one man. And this started going on service after service after service. And, and it would just shut down the service. He couldn't figure out what to do. And one day, he felt the Lord impress him to call Brother Barnes. Those of you that heard of Brother T.W. Barnes, pastor in Minden, was a prophet. He told me, he said, all right, I'll call Brother Barnes. He said, I called Brother Barnes. Brother Barnes picked up the phone. This is what he said. He said, let me tell you what to do with the man that's disrupting your service. That's how he answered the phone. He said, that's a distracting spirit. He said, next time the man comes up, have some men in the church take him to a prayer room. He said, and that will break the revival. Sure enough, Brother Barnes hung up the phone. That was it. Next service, everything's rocking along, and here comes that man. Immediately, he said, I want some of you men to take that man to the prayer room. Brought him to the prayer room, and boom, that blew the doors open for revival. It's that, that guy didn't want deliverance. That guy wanted distraction. He wanted to distract the service. I was preaching this larger church, and we one of my first services at that church. There was probably four or five, 450 people, something like that, in that particular service. 
And I mean, the Spirit of God was moving. This is one of those lessons you have to learn the hard way as an evangelist. You can read all the books you want. Those books, you can put them up when it comes to getting in the pulpit. you, you got to get up there and do it. And I mean, I was preaching my guts out. I was giving it everything I had. And when it was time for the altar, this, this mama brought her son up in the late teens, late teens, early 20s. And, and I mean, the Spirit of God was moving. And I went down there, and, and, and the mama wanted her son to be delivered. The problem was the son didn't want deliverance. And I sat there as a young evangelist, all right, all right, I want you to say Jesus is Lord. And he would just blank stare. Jesus is Lord, blank stare. Come on, let's pray, blank stare. And I wasted all my energy. Finally, I said, you'll go take him to the prayer room. By the time I learned that lesson, the whole service was done. Because everybody there was watching an old boy right here take over the service. Those spirits just want to, they want to distract. Now, there's going to be people that want deliverance. That's going to happen. But we're not going to waste our energies on somebody that don't want deliverance. They brought him to the, to the, they brought him to the, to the prayer room. And the, the pastor's son began to try to talk to him. They've never met. They never, they never seen each other. And he's saying, all right, hey, man, what's your name? The guy's sitting on his knees. What's your name? What's your name? And he looked at him, and he said, my name is, and he didn't say his name. He called out the pastor's son's name. And his mama looked at him and said, that's not his name. I don't know why he's saying that. But it was that spirit showing, I know who you are. And when he laid hands on him, that guy slammed back on the concrete supernaturally. Pow! The spirit slammed him back and slammed his head. And there was no prayer. The guy didn't want prayer. He wanted to be a distraction. He wanted to be a distraction. We don't. We're not afraid of that. If you got the Holy Ghost, you got power over that. If someone wants deliverance, we'll speak the name of Jesus over them and command that spirit to come out of them. It doesn't have to be showy. We don't have to have a hundred people laying hands on them. You just look at them and say, in the name of Jesus, I command that spirit to come out of you. That spirit is subject not to you. It's subject to the name that you possess, the name of Jesus Christ. The baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues is the original experience of the New Testament church. And that is our blueprint. It is our pattern. References to the plan of salvation can be found everywhere in the Bible. John 1, 12, and 13, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Notice there are three parts to our salvation in these verses. First, we must receive the Lord into our lives. That's repentance. Second, we must believe in such a way that it invokes the name of Jesus Christ over our lives, which is baptism. Third, we must allow God to give us the power to change, which is the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost. Then and only then are we born again. Now, the new birth salvation message is one of the foundational stones of 
the apostolic church. And every denomination agrees that we need to receive the Lord. But most of them totally miss the two other elements, which is taking on his name and allowing him to give us his power. And we say that we love this truth, but hear me, the whole purpose of salvation is to help save other people. Bible says if our gospel is hid, it's not hid to those in the church. It's hid to those that are lost. Stand with me. Jesus said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now here's why he said, I'm giving you the power of the Holy Ghost. That ye should be witnesses unto me. It's going to start locally and it's going to spread globally. The whole reason God saved you is so you could help save other people. Because when they see your life turned around, and they see you walking with God, they're going to read the, the message that you write with your life, and they're going to be inspired. We cannot make people drink, but we can make them thirsty. Because the Bible said we are the salt of the earth. What does salt do? Salt will make you thirsty. And when we are being who God purposed us to be, just by being around people, you're going to make them want what you have. They're going to want a drink of the waters of life. Salvation. There's one God. His name is Jesus. You've got to believe in the power of that name. You've got to repent of your sins. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you have to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and walk in newness of life. Aren't you thankful for that salvation tonight? Why don't we lift our hands and just love him? Lord, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for that salvation, that name that's above every name. Lord, it's our privilege, and, and, and our hearts are full that we can walk in that authority and the power of the Holy Ghost. Oh, Lord, let us never take for granted that spirit that we have, the power of the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we give you high praise. Let's clap our hands under the Lord in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord bless you. Greet one another. We've got a few minutes and we'll start our evening worship service.